This is the last of a two-part series on the sexual abuse crisis that has scandalized the faithful. Last week we saw there were two causal factors that created the perfect storm for the crisis. The first was homosexuality. According to a $1.8 million study done at the request of the bishops of the United States, the John Jay College of Criminal Justice found that 81% of the victims were male, and of that group, 78% were post-pubescent males, that is, teenage males. This fact, not an opinion, this fact leads to a logical conclusion. The issue is not pedophilia, as many insist, preferring to remain in the comfortable but unreal world of political correctness. The issue is the same-sex attraction of those abusing priests who preyed on teenage males. In other words, the issue is homosexuality. The second factor was how the bishops over decades abdicated their role as shepherds to become CEOs of Catholic Church Incorporated, more concerned about the image of the church than dealing with the corruption within her, refusing to address the influence of the homosexual subculture in the seminaries. And it is increasingly evident that we have actively gay bishops who, in positions of power and authority, protect those who share their orientation and lifestyle. There can be little doubt this poison has infiltrated into the halls of the Vatican, as the Pope has allegedly admitted. This week, I want to address what parishioners and their parish priests can do. We are far from helpless. First, we must recognize the spiritual reality behind the crisis. Second, allow the awareness of that spiritual reality to motivate us to take concrete action. The spiritual reality we must confront is Satan has been allowed to wreak havoc in the church. For those who think I'm advocating the devil made me do it excuse for sinful and criminal behavior, I am not. I am merely pointing out what should be self-evident. The devil, who knows our weaknesses better than we do, exploits every avenue of our fallen nature to get us to do his dirty work, which is ultimately the destruction of the church. Yes, Jesus promised that he would never permit the gates of hell to prevail against his church, but Jesus never said anything about not allowing his church to become deathly ill by our choices, our refusal to make choices, or by our silence. We are not dealing with a merely aberrant sociological phenomenon. We are not dealing with just a moral issue. We are not dealing with evil in general. We are dealing with the evil one who loves the sins of guilty clerics, 
gloats in the pain of victims, relishes the growing lack of trust in the bishops and the pope, and delights in the false accusations made against innocent clergy and lay ministers as our secular society enters into a witch-hunt hysteria. The devil has thus far been able to get us to inflict all this chaos on ourselves. What are we to do? First and foremost, a renewed fidelity to the sacramental life that Jesus left to us and no longer treated as an option for special occasions or something one does when one feels like it, but as a reality that is as necessary for life as breathing and eating. Second, from that grace to enter more deeply into a personal relationship Jesus calls every single one of us into while remembering that we are never isolated individuals but a community of faith empowered to support, comfort, and challenge one another. Whatever our role in the church, the very reasons why Jesus established his church. And from this spiritual foundation, we can take practical, empowering courses of action. We can, for example, petition Pope Francis. And this option will be made available after the masses today and next weekend. It will be made available at the breakfast at the hall. One has the right to say to the Pope, and it will be on the petition, Holy Father, we are deeply concerned about what is happening in our church. As the vicar of Christ on earth, we look to you for transparency and truth. We ask you to answer the question, did you or did you not know about Cardinal McCarrick's behavior when you brought him back into ministry? We find your silence to be inappropriate for a leader of your stature. No pope is beyond questioning. If he knew about Cardinal McCarrick's debauchery and readmitted him into ministry, then the faithful must insist he resign. His resignation would send a clear signal to some of our cardinals and bishops that they too must resign, either for their personal scandalous behavior or for their sin of silence in the face of the scandalous behavior of their brother bishops and the chaos it has generated in the body of Christ. If the Pope knew about Cardinal McCarrick but does not resign, there are still things we can do. We are not helpless by any means. We can petition our bishops who will be meeting this November in Baltimore we can insist on their appointing two independent boards composed only of lay people. The first board would oversee the accusations of sexual abuse made against a bishop. And once an accusation is made, that bishop must step down from ministry and not be allowed to do any public ministry just as an accused priest or deacon must. This board should be composed of lay people 
with experience in law enforcement, forensics, psychology, as well as theology, and who have a sincere love for the church. The findings of this board should go only to Rome, not to any of our bishops, and Rome should be expected to act in a prescribed time frame. If Rome fails to act within that time frame, then the findings of that board should be made public to the whole church. The second board should be composed of only lay Catholic scholars, academics, and theologians, known for their devotion to the magisterial teaching authority of the church to investigate accusations made by seminarians about the questionable issues in their formation programs, concerns about the homosexual subculture in their seminaries, and situations of sexual harassment by students or seminary faculty. Seminarians must be immune from reprisal by their seminaries and their bishops. The findings and recommendations of that board should also be submitted only to Rome with the expectation that a swift response will be made. Otherwise, the results of the investigation should be made public to the whole church. The bishops had decades to clean up the seminaries, but they failed to do so. And recent events of seminarians, and may I add, brave seminarians in Boston, Newark, and Pittsburgh who are uttering complaints about the system underscore this point. The laity can do a better job. I suppose there are bishops who would argue that they have learned their lesson, they are truly sorry, and would ask us to trust them. If bishops want our trust, they need to earn it. It should no longer just be given. And right now, trusting the bishops to fix this mess without lay supervision, without accountability to the lay people, is a bit like asking the fox to guard the chicken coop. It won't work. And what if bishops don't listen to their people and their priests who are on the front line day after day? What if they resort to that condescending posture of, now, now, there, there, we know better. Sorry, boys, those days are over. If you knew better, why are we in the mess that we're in? This is the era of the laity. You know, you really have the power, you know. After all, you control the checkbook, the wallet, the purse. You can vote with your feet. These are tumultuous times for the church. As a convert, I have always believed that the human dimension of our divinely instituted church is in perpetual need of reform. I believe the current crisis is going to call the laity to take greater control over the life of the church, and the church will be better off for it. How all this will work out 
Only God knows. But for the time being, one of the 2016 presidential campaign slogans just keeps ringing in my head as to what we ought to focus on. Drain the swamp. <laughs>